Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the London School of Economics' sixth Space for Thought as part of the Literary Festival. My name is Shelley Silas. I'm a writer, uh, but I'm also a Royal Literary Fund Fellow at the LSE for the next two years. I'm absolutely delighted to welcome this eclectic mix of friends. Uh, some people I know, some I haven't met before. Um, but I'm really grateful that you've all given up your time to be here today. I know people have come from quite a distance, and, and thank you very much. Um, we're going to talk for about an hour, be very informal. Um, then we're going to have some questions from you. Uh, and then Marcus, where is he? He's here. He's, he's going to end on a short performance. I'm uh, one of the contributors of this collection of coming out stories called It's Okay to Be Gay, which, where's Alison Stokes? <coughs> Alison Stokes is edited by Alison. Um, it's a fantastic collection of stories, and we're going to touch upon some of them today. But uh, 50% of the proceeds from the book go to the charity Diversity Role Models, um, who tackle homophobic bullying in schools. So I'd like to introduce our panel. Evan Davis is a very busy man. He's a presenter of Radio 4's Today programme and has a weekly business discussion programme called The Bottom Line. He's currently presenting the new series of Dragon's Den and prior to working on the Today programme, Evan was the BBC's economics editor. Claire Harvey is an Olympian. She captained the London 2012 GB women's sitting volleyball team and was awarded Hero of the Year at the 2013 European Diversity Awards. She's Assistant Director of the Youth Sport Trust, an independent charity devoted to changing young people's lives through sport. Charlie Condu is an activist, a writer and an actor you may recognise him from his role as Marcus Dent in Coronation Street. <laughs> Charlie's a supporter of Manchester Pride, a patron of diversity role models and the Albert Kennedy Trust, a volunteer for the Terence Higgins Trust, and he also works closely with Stonewall. Alice Arnold is a former Radio 4 announcer and newsreader, she was a member of the BBC Radio Drama Company, has acted on television and stage, and I can testify that she's got a fabulous singing voice as well. <laughs> Since leaving the BBC, Alice has been a freelance writer. She campaigns for equality and has been in a civil partnership for seven years. Seven years? Stella Duffy. Stella's written 13 novels, 50 short stories and 10 plays. She's also a theatre director and founder of the Fun Palaces Project, a nationwide cele celebration of local cultural engagement, which will take place in October this year. Stella is a patron of diversity role models and a campaigner for just about everything. Hmm. <laughs> Marcus Brito, better known as Cube Boy, was the UK's first openly gay hip-hop artist and a founder of the UK's first gay hip-hop club, Pac-Man. He's known for his work in bullying and LGBT rights, and he's presented the Channel 4 documentary, Coming Out to Class, highlighting homophobia in the classroom. So, welcome. Thank you very much for being here. So, because the book's called It's OK to be Gay, I wanted to ask the panel, is it OK to be gay? Do you think it's OK to be gay? 
Um, it's okay for me to be gay. I've been being gay uh, for 50 years. And I've been out for about 32 of those 50 years. So, yes, it's okay for me to be gay, but I don't think it's okay for a lot of people. I think it's far from okay in many of the countries in the world where it's being made increasingly illegal. And I think that's why it's not only okay to be gay, but it's incumbent upon us who are gay to be out, to step up, and to stop hiding. Because for all that it's adequate in our world, it's pretty shitty in lots of other people's worlds. And therefore it's our duty to make it better for them. And that's what I think. Yeah, I mean, that's the point, isn't it? It's okay for us here to be gay, um, but it's, it's clearly not okay for so many people around the world. It's not okay to be gay in Russia, for example, as, as, as we all know, and so many places. And it's really interesting to see how <clears throat> rights that we have won and that have been hard to come by can very easily be taken away again. You look at what's happening with women's rights in America at the moment and the fight for abortion and all that kind of stuff. So, so actually, I agree with what Stella says. It's really important for us to be out and vocal and to, 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 to in, encourage the younger generations to be okay to be gay um, for the sake of... for all of our sakes, really, because these things can... can be taken from us just as easily. Actually, I wouldn't say it's okay to be gay. It's actually bloody brilliant. <laughs> I, I love being gay, and I and, and I've been gay nearly as long as you've done it. <laughs> and, um, it's, um, it's it's I would really say that it's added a lot to my life in the sense of of making friends perhaps originally because that's what you have in common but those friendships develop and grow and and are lovely and I'm extremely lucky to live in London I think where uh, our sexuality is not tolerated but fully accepted in the area that that I live so I caveat that with the fact that I am incredibly lucky but I think it's wonderful not just okay I think it's an interesting question though because for me when people say is it okay to be gay it implies there's a choice and actually I am gay whether it's okay or not a bit like is it okay to be disabled no oh well I'll get up and walk off then I won't by the way in case there's any Paralympic classifiers in the room Um, but um, but, I think that's the thing for me it's more is it you know, is it accepted to be gay rather than is it okay? Because I am gay, I, you know, I can't change that. It doesn't matter how much I would pretend otherwise. I'm attracted to women and that's it. You know? Well, I, I think it is, in my metrosexual media liberal world, I think, in all honesty, being gay has been a mild, and I wouldn't put it any higher than that, a very mild advantage to my career. I think it has made me just... A tiny bit more interesting than I would otherwise be. <laughs> interesting is good, so I think it's been a little better than okay, uh, a little better than accepted. Um, where I want to just add a little note of dissent with the panel is, I, of course, I'm very aware uh, and as concerned they are about lots of places in this country and in other parts of the world where it is not accepted or okay to be gay. Um, I just I don't want to go on about those quite as much as I think the panel do, because there are a lot of people in parts of the world who are struggling a little bit uh, to work out whether it's okay to be gay. And I don't want them to think, by every utterance that we make, that when they, you know, 
come to terms with their sexuality. That life is just one horrible fight and struggle. Because the truth is, in the establishment UK, whether it's mixing at royal banquets or receptions at number 10 Downing Street, in the Conservative Party, or in Norman Tebbit's kitchen, where I have spent a day with him and his wife, in all those places, gay is accepted and it is treated with respect. And, you know, I don't... I don't want people on a sort of miserable housing estate in a, an area where they feel poorly. I want them to think, well, when I come out of there, I'm going to go to a world where it's fine. Even Norman Tebbit will have lunch with me. Uh, and I don't want them to think, oh my God, as soon as I got out of this miserable school and this miserable home, it's just one horrible, long sort of journey of oppression. Because I don't think it is in large part. I, I, I agree with you, but I do think there's a slight difference for men and women. Not least because we didn't have feminism yet, and because we didn't have feminism, we still see far fewer out women than out men. So that for particularly for young women, there are still many less role models. That's true. And so for even within that metrosexual world, look at the audience. I'm looking at you and you are more men than women. You know, this is this is really standard for most gay events that most of us go to. We need to look at the statistics there, don't we? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the statistics alter a little bit, don't they? I think that That's only because there's less out women. That doesn't mean there's less of us. Mm. Well, I wanted to actually talk of something that um, Owen was talking about. Do you think... You talk about being in, in Norman Tebbit's kitchen. Do you think being... <laughs> That's such a euphemism. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You don't love it. <laughs> Really like I, I mean, come on, with, with all due respect, uh, we don't all aspire to be in Norman Tebbit's kitchen. Now, I'm sure he was lovely to you, but I'd be really interested to know what he said once you'd left. We all know what Norman Tebbit's views are. So, I mean, I think, so you know... I discussed it great length with Norman Tebbit and his wife. All I would say, I know what his views are. I'm sure he has views about my behaviour. I didn't give him, you know, gritty detail of what we get up to. All I can tell you is that guy, who is probably one of the most high-profile anti-gay people in our political class, you can say homophobe. Enormous respect, and had a very civil conversation, as he does incidentally with Alan Duncan and others. He's absolutely he accepted there was a difference and he treated the position with respect in the same way that lots of people who have differences and disagreements treat others with respect. And if he, if he can do it. The truth is, most people do. Well, if you can do it publicly, that's progress. Yeah. But do you think if, if you're in the public eye, if you have a high profile, people react to you differently if you're gay? And maybe, kind of... maybe, maybe, maybe not. I mean, I don't suspect Norman Tebbit beats up, you know, bashes gay people in... Not physically. I think there are. I think there are. Uh, my partner, by the way, is a, a sports uh, broadcaster called Claire Balding. So you might have heard of her. Um, she. I think there is a. There is a difference in being high profile and being um, gay. In that, in some ways, it's easier. In some ways, it's easier because people just don't dare to be horrible to you because you're in the public eye. In another way, it's harder because you are, as soon as you come out, and Tom Daly will experience this, you are immediately assumed the responsibility of everybody's gay rights and and gay politics. And everyone puts that onus on you 
it, it might not particularly interest you, but you, you just want to be able to live your life freely and talk about your partner. But with being out and in the public eye comes a whole lot... As soon as it happens, Tom Daly will get letters from every gay charity going, every gay rights group going, saying, please join us, come to our dinner, come to this fundraising, and he will not be able to say no to most of it. because He'll feel that he has to. So that's the pros and cons, I think, of being... The public eye. I think the other thing for me is I, I agree, when, you know, but the reality is some people can't get out of that shitty council estate. Some people are trapped there and that is their life and that is their existence for no fault of their own and therefore that is their everyday experience. I don't, th- I don't think it's always easy even if you are in the media. I think your sexuality has uh, plus sides and negative yeah. points and for me I will certainly wouldn't have got the press attention or, or the media attention had I been straight because Gay Rapper was a very interesting story back in 2004 and, and the journalists went crazy with it so I wouldn't have got the attention but at the same rate record co- serious major record companies are not interested in signing me because of the type of material that I make, they see that as, a, as only being for a very niche market and is not a very uh, sort of, uh, marketable uh, uh, product so that they can sell and get p- people like Reebok or Nike to sign me up for advertising campaigns, which is what major music is basically about now. They don't see me as being able to do that. So I have this glass ceiling And yet Reebok well, or know? Nike would seem so cool if they did, yeah. wouldn't they? I mean... It would make such a difference to them. It would make a difference to me. But <laughs> <laughs> well, I think they're, they're probably all a little bit scared. They're waiting for the first company to sign yeah. somebody up, and then, you know, when one does it, everyone else will do it. So that's what I think. Um, at what point in your lives did you come out, and why? I mean, did you, did you pick a specific moment, or were you worried that you were going to be outed? Um, and when did it happen, and what were your expectations? Did you have an expectation of how it would be... And was the expectation, was the reality completely different? Claire? I guess I, I think I've sort of come out three times in my life, or probably more, but three big times in my life. The first time I was 14, and I'd just gone, I used to play rugby union um, at elite level when I was able bodied, and um, I'd just come back from a rugby tour in Amsterdam with my first tattoo and having lost my virginity. Um, and I started dating this woman, which at 14 is quite impressive to go from losing wow. your virginity to dating her at least twice. That's, I was quite proud it's of Very lesbian. I'm going, I'm going on. <laughs> we didn't move in the next week. Um, and I remember I'd gone to visit her quite a lot. And my, I come from a Jewish family. My parents are quite strict. Um, sexuality was something that just wasn't discussed in my family at all. So I had really no barometer of of what my parents were going to say, so I just created the story that you know I was going to be dragged down to the rabbi and God knows what was going to happen. But I got home from, from seeing this girl and my mum was ironing in the living room and she, she very nonchalantly said to me, where have you been? And I said, oh, I've been to see Helen. She's, you know, she's my friend from rugby. And she said, yes, she's got golden tits, has she? And, and that, I just remember time froze about 100 years. You know, and I just burst into tears and, and all my mum said was, she's very old and that was that was all she said and but then when I had my accident in 2008 that took me back to being 14 because I was in the (coughs) hospital and my partner of 14 years at that point wasn't able to come into the room she had to go she was actually asked to produce evidence that she was my next of kin I was in a coma and very close to death at that point and she was asked to produce evidence that she was my next of kin I think any old man could have walked in and said he was my partner and no one would have cared but you know, she had to produce this evidence to bring my kids in to see me and 
throughout that rehab process, I went through a whole process of, you know, having to consistently come out. I, I sat through an, an Evan said this before, bless him, but I sat, I sat through a whole hour session of returning to sexual activity after a spinal cord injury, which was an hour of heterosexual sex. I learned a lot during that hour, <laughs> but it had no relevance to my life whatsoever, and and so I had to do it again then. And then when I started sport in 2009 um, and and got into the GB team in volleyball. I had to make that decision again and again. The feeling was exactly the same as when I was 14. If if I tell them, are they gonna are they gonna like me? Are they gonna want me to be in the team? Are they gonna want to share a room with me? You know. But equally knowing, because of the hindsight of my life experience, if I didn't tell them, there is no way I could have kept that secret and gone on to captain the team. Just no way. I'm, a, I'm shit at lying, and B, you know, it just takes up so much energy. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so for me, it was sort of three individual yeah. points. And how many tattoos have you got? Can't possibly tell you. But I've been to Amsterdam a few times. <laughs> we'll find that. I've only ever lost my virginity once. But <laughs> I think part of what I realise is probably slightly different for a lot of us because we're in the public eye, so people tend to know. But for, for so many gay people, you find that you come out in little ways all the time. Um, particularly as a gay man, if you're not very camp, or I don't know, as a, as a gay woman, you're not butch. And you're not, you don't fit into a stereotype. Every time you meet a new person, a lot of the time it will come up, and you can find that you're constantly coming out to people, which is something that straight people don't have to do at all. It's just when you start a new job, for instance. My, yeah, my all of them have to do it recently. He just started a new yeah, job. Yeah, and that can be exhausting. That's why I'm really glad that I'm on telly and people just know <laughs> yeah. I have to deal with it. But I think the, fir- the first time was, um, I think I was about 18, but for me it was a real anti-climax for, well, probably not for me, I don't remember, but for everyone else. I was living in Soho. Yeah, I know, right? Um, (laughs) My family all knew anyway. I think I met some guy who became my boyfriend for about two weeks. Um, It was all a big drama in my head. It was like, oh, this... And my mum sort of said to me, what, you know, what's going on? I can tell there's some issue. Is it because you're gay? And that was that, really... So it was, it was sort of really easy for me. I know it's not like that for most people, but um, it, it wasn't an issue, but I'm really lucky in that I had that kind of a family. Um, I'm well aware that it's not for most people. So if you buy this book, my chapter's really dull. It's not what I'm saying. It's not dull. <laughs> I had a coming out experience two weeks ago in that um, the hospital stuff is really interesting to me. I, I had breast cancer in 2000, and Shelley's my wife. I'm her wife. Um, oh, when you say that, people go, it's one of you, the husband. It's like, <laughs> really not, what with both of us being women. Um, and uh, in 2000, we had that, uh, because it wasn't legal. And we really found it difficult for her. To, she wasn't allowed to be my next of kin. Um, but anyway, having had a breast cancer recurrence this year, the hospital had been, all medical teams have been so different, so completely, it's amazing in that 14 years, how different people have been. My personal coming out was I do come from that grotty council estate and mine was in Woolwich and it was absolutely a grotty council estate and then it was a grotty timber town in New Zealand, hence the accent. And um, I expected my dad to smack me in the face when I came out. That was the kind of family I came from. Also a brilliant man, brilliant storyteller, very funny, very free with his fists. It was the time. Mm. Um, this isn't Oprah, I was beaten. This is just a truth. And um, I see it, my mum had come out to my sister on my behalf years earlier saying, oh, I don't think Stella's ever going to settle down with a nice man. 
And my sister, who knew that I was saying a nice girl at school, I was about 16, was like, oh, what do you mean? And my mum said, saw a lot of it in the army. <laughs> Which she did. My parents were both 18 and 39. She saw a lot of it in the army. But when I told my dad, I seriously did expect to be smacked in the face. And my dad, who had never said the word relationship as far as I knew in my life that I could remember, said... Yeah, well, it doesn't change my relationship with you, does it? Now, can I do these dishes or what? (laughs) And I went, and I was truly shocked, and it was amazing. But my coming out experience two weeks ago was that in the ward in St. Thomas's, there was a four-bed ward, but there was only two of us in it. There was a a younger woman in her 30s in the bed opposite me. Very religious Muslim family. Her alarm went off five times a day so she could pray. Her husband came in every night, and they prayed together. She and I started chatting, and... When we could both get out of bed and walk, she said to me, can I ask you a personal question? Because I'd said, this is my partner, Shelley, and she said, this is my husband, and we chatted a bit. And I went over to her bed, and, she, and, she, and I went, yeah, knowing what the question, knowing. <laughs> and she, you know, headscarf, all of that. She was clearly fairly religious. And we had this most amazing conversation where she said, what do you do? My husband and I are really interested. (laughs) But the reason I wanted to talk to her was she had been out with us about having been cut. She said cut, circumcised. They were her words, not mutilated. And it made me think for the first time we need to be careful about using that word mutilated. She's someone who doesn't perceive herself to be mutilated. So then she and I had a very graphic conversation about how cut she had been and what other things that people might do that didn't involve penis and vagina. And it was amazing. And it was such... Makes me want to cry now. We had this conversation about our, her sexuality and my sexuality. And it was because I was being out. And then we got... I've been practicing Buddhism for 27 years. And then we got onto faith. And it was so fantastic. And she would never have had that opportunity if I hadn't felt like I could say, this is my wife. She wouldn't have known, because we would have had to lie or pretend. And I wouldn't have had that opportunity either. It was incredible. Well worth doing. Thank you. I think my mother... I was a bit upset about something. A love thing. (laughs) I think my mother said to me, I think X is more than just a friend. And I said, might be. (laughs) <laughs> and I think that was the extent of my coming out really with my parents and, and we never discussed it after that and the various girlfriends I think my mother didn't my, she was quite happy about me being gay she, there was a bit of a stream of different people at the work when I was younger and I think that upset her and um, she didn't like it when I was upset but that, the main thing about my parents was that they just wanted me to be happy and that was the only care that they had. And people say, oh, it's a generational thing, it's difficult to come out to your parents. But, well, my mother is 87, my father died in December, age 92. And they, neither of them ever had a problem. They just wanted me to be happy. They were also, you know, very middle class, um, privately educated, all of that. And so when people use that as an, I think, excuse sometimes to say, oh, well, I can't, you know, my parents are much too old. Oh, no, no, they're very posh, they come from. Well, so or they're very working class. So, yeah, or they're very it's working class. Whichever excuse they want to use, people will find one. And I'm just so grateful that my parents 
love me in that way that, that all they want is my happiness and now um, we have the most amazing relationship with, with Claire's parents as well um, and, and the whole family so that, that we've had Christmas together as, because my parents are a fair bit older than hers we've all had Christmas together with both our families and any relatives that have been there my father died a week before Christmas and the Baldings scooped us up and looked after us and that's the loving family that I hope everybody, everyone should be able to have, gay or straight, it doesn't matter yeah. it's about love mm. Marcus mm, coming out, I was uh, branded the gay kid since at least age nine at school so in terms of the people around me that uh, of my peer group I never had to come out because I was just already labelled gay from a really early age uh, and my name Cute Boy comes from the fact that the kids would bully me with the name Queer Boy that was their regular name for me so when I started writing rhymes at 15 I would uh, I took that name to, to make it mine rather than have it theirs uh, with my parents though I didn't really have a very good relationship with my parents and, um, my father's from uh, an island called La Gomera in the Canaries um, and it's very small island mentality. Well, he's not Catholic uh, or religious in any way, but it's definitely that kind of limited viewpoint of, of life. Uh, and my mother, uh, um, I had a very difficult relationship with, and up until 2004, uh, unfortunately, she was really sick, and I had to section her in a, into a mental hospital. And finally, she got diagnosed with being bipolar and she's fine now but before that she was basically a very aggressive alcoholic um, and my, so my relationship with her was not such that my sexuality was, dis, was I, I, to me it was like it's my sexuality and it doesn't, I don't need to come out I don't want to come out to them I didn't need to have a discussion with them I didn't want to talk to them about anything at all I didn't want to share anything with them so it was really it was obvious that I was gay, but it was never discussed and I never really came out. I just was gay. I had no problem with putting posters of semi-naked boys on my, on my walls when I was 14 years old. So I was not hiding it or uh, pretending otherwise, but I never had the discussion of, you know, hey, I'm gay. It was just, it was, it was understood. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Evan? Well, I think there are sort of three phases, aren't there? To yourself to your parents and to your work colleagues, or if you're in the public domain, to, to if you're in the public domain. Um, I think it, ideally you would keep those as close to, together as possible. I mean, I spent to storm it out, but I, I think the hardest was to myself. I think those were the two, that really was about two years in my sort of, uh, sort of 13, 14. I think that was, that was the most painful bit. But then I waited absolutely, once I absolutely was sure of it, and I was quite comfortable with it, as soon as I was sure I was absolutely comfortable, I managed to wait ages before telling my parents. And my parents are very loving, I've never had a problem with them, and I knew they were getting fine about it. But you can get into this locked in syndrome that it actually becomes harder to tell people. Because you haven't told them already, and it's kind of, this is the really, this is my advice. It's easier the sooner you do it. I mean, after 10 years, and you're kind of, it just becomes more and more difficult because then it's not only am I gay, but also I haven't told you for the last 10 years this gaping great thing in my life. I think it's also true of work colleagues. 
quite easy to tell people when you start a new job and you're gay from day one than saying to people who know you as straight, assuming you're straight, by the way, everything you uh, seen in me is all wrong. Uh, but my, my, so I suppose the, the hardest was my parents, and then I waited about 10 years. The hardest was myself. Waited about literally till my sort of early 20s and then told my parents. So I've been in the States for a couple of years at college, and I was much more comfortable with it than I said, I'm going to go back, and just definitely before Christmas, I must have the conversation with my parents. So at 3 o'clock, on Christmas afternoon, <laughs> when the deadline has really moved very close. While the Queen was in the corner. Yeah. <laughs> I was, you were giving your own I'm definitely going to make this deadline. It's definitely going to happen. And I, and, I, and, I, and I did it. And I had actually told my brother beforehand that I was going to tell my parents. And I think he had told my other brother. So between them, actually my brother was very useful. Because... The way I did it was I said, now I need to tell you all something very important. And I, I, I wonder if you can guess what it is. <laughs> <laughs> the, the reason that was, I, I discussed it with my brother said, do it like that. And I think very kind of him because as I said it, he said, you'll get it. And so he actually said, <laughs> and uh, then my other brother made a quip, which has been... In, in the writer, I'd be very controversial because my other brother said, Well, thank God you're not black. And um, it was a joke to sort of relieve the attention. And, um, and then we all talked about it for the rest of the Was this week. during the Queen's speech? No, this that was the Queen's speech. Instead of. Shall I, mean, I, I talk about? I'm going to mention my story. Useful for um, anyone who's having a hard time. I, I had a terrible time. I mean, I come from a Jewish family as well, but not a religious Jewish family. Um, and I was always brought up to believe that I was going to get married to a man and and have children and you know all of that. Um, and I remember coming out to my parents with, I believe, the girlfriend before Stella. Such a long time ago. Was there one? Sure, there was. Sorry. Um, and I, I remember telling my parents, my sister at the time lived in Israel, and she'd said to me, don't tell mum and dad until I'm in the country. But of course, being the younger sister, I didn't listen to her at all, and I told them. Um, and my dad threatened to kill us. He said, I'll kill you both, and I don't care if I go to prison for it. Of course, he didn't kill me. Um, but when I met, kind of everything then went quiet, and when I met Stella, I sort of knew... You need to know, you know Shelley's parents are from a very small Indian yeah. Jewish community, so... Their community's very tight already. It doesn't do that North London liberal Ashkenazi Jewish We're thing. not Eastern European Jews. But when I met Stella, I knew that, you know, this was the person who was going to be in my life forever. You mean not the um, other one? Not the other one. And um, it took my parents, it took my dad nine years to actually meet Stella. Um, and during that time, I kept going to them for festivals. I kept seeing them. Stella never, ever discouraged me. She always said, you've got to keep a relationship with them, because I love them. They're great, you know, they are terrific people. Um, and about 11 years ago, it was just before Christmas, and when my sister, who died three years ago, um, her kids always used to come to our house for Christmas because they got Christmas, they got Hanukkah, they got everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and they'd come and decorate the tree. And I said, I'm going to ask Mum and Dad one more time if they'll come over. They were due to go to New Zealand. Stella grew up in New Zealand. I thought, there's a connection. I invited them, and my dad picked up the phone, and I said, don't answer now. We'd like you to come. Um, and I said, look, I haven't committed a crime. You know, I'm, I'm not an alcoholic. I'm not this, I'm not that. Um, no one's dying. Um, and my dad talked to my sister, and she said, you know what you've got to do? You've backed yourself into a corner. And we had a miracle. They came to the house. 
we were both a little bit worried about it. We thought, what if we don't want them to come to the house now? We'd spend nine years. But we honestly felt as if we'd had a blessing. And it was nine years of real difficulty for me and for Stella. Um, all our friends knew. The whole family knew. But it was actually, once my dad accepted it, it was like he'd emailed the whole world. It was like, I've accepted it, now you all have to accept it. And of course they'd already accepted it. Uh, and it was a massive relief for me and for Stella. Subsequently, so, at Shelley's stories. nephew's bar mitzvah, Shelley's dad danced with me first. Mm-hmm. As a real sign to that whole community. Yeah. And it is a very small, very tight community. But I think that's a useful story because quite often we can talk about it like it is fine and there are people and there will be people in the room for whom it's yeah, not. Yeah, no, that's why. Perseverance is also worthwhile. Well, that takes me to another question. But can I just, I, I would be very interested to because I'm genuinely, I, I think you've had a fairly typical experience here, which is probably what sort of four or five of us have had a good experience and there's put you in the middle markets and then yours I've been to how many people here have had... <laughs> One of those conversations with their parents, okay, one one kind or another. And how many of you would say that conversation went well? And how many of you say it went badly? Yeah. I'm mentoring a 19-year-old girl at the moment who's just come out, and her parents. She comes from a very middle class, very well educated. Both have very responsible jobs. Parents. Um, her, the reaction of her parents is it's like something out of the 13th century they've likened it to paedophilia they've said that they don't ever want to see her again they've, they've burnt her sheets in case they caught something and, and she's, she's 19 now you know she's not 10 generations I, I think there's a baby boomers problem there's a baby boomers and the next generation because my parents would have been 90 three this year and they were because because they were both 18 in the war because they both had rubbish wars my dad was a prisoner of war for four and a half years my mum got bombed out of three houses they knew there were much worse things to happen when this generation of post-war baby boomers got their loveliness and everything quite comfortable for them particularly the middle class ones they don't know that there's a worse thing than having a gay child it's really weird seriously for them that is their truth it's an, it's an untruth, but it is their truth. My next question. Do you think it's okay to out somebody? Hmm. No. Actually, I don't. I, for, for all, you know, uh, I will do as much flag-waving as possible, mm-hmm. and I... You described me as an activist earlier on, which I quite like, actually, and I'm happy to do as much activism as I can, and I have very strong views about all sorts of really annoying things that are irrelevant. But, um, but one thing I do believe is that somebody's sexuality is their business and the business of the person that they're sleeping with. And I know of actors... I get asked this a lot because I'm an out actor. Um, and I know of actors that are now off in Hollywood doing big films that are gay and in the closet, and I get asked to talk about them all the time. And I think it's... It really is their business. Mm-hmm. Yes, they could be activists too. But just because I am, and it's something that I believe in, doesn't mean that they have to be. This is my life and the way that I'm living it. Uh, I can be disappointed, I can be angry, um, but I do genuinely believe that everybody should have the choice to live their lives the way they want to live it. So no, I don't believe in that. Too. No, it's, I agree with Charlie in my world more actually to do with sporting people that we know are gay and, and, and 
lots of people know are gay, but they choose not to publicly um, come out uh, for whatever their own reasons are. And one can encourage um, and try to tell them it'll all be all right. Um, but I would never, I would never out somebody unless I, I think, unless I thought they'd done something really hypocritical. Mm. Then that, that might um, that might sway me, but I think, and as Charlie says, they have their rights, and it, and it, it makes you angry because you think, well, we, we're doing all the hard work for everybody else yeah. to just have a have an easy life of it, and sometimes that's a bit frustrating. But we all have a right to live our lives however we want, as long as you're not hypocritical about it. If you don't want to come out, and and also I think with some people you don't know some maybe fundamental reason why they don't, and it might be um, some religious. <coughs> relative or something, or just something that they absolutely can't deal with, and that's their business. So we don't have a right to out people. I yeah, don't I, I don't think that outing is right, but I really wish people were out. Mm. And I, I think there, there are two sides there. So another hospital, God, I had great hospital conversations. So another hospital conversation, there was this young 20-year-old care worker changing my dressings, doing all of that. And she was, she was she's from Peckham, I live in Loughborough Junction, uh, her family from from St Kitts. We were having this great chat, and she said, "So you're very, very honest about your, you know, the YouTube. Your I, my wife." She went, "Yes," and I, she said, "Why are you so honest?" And I said, "Well, look at you. I'm white. You're black. You walk down the street. We know that we live in a country that still has lots of race issues. You have no choice about being out." You walk down the street, you walk into a room, perhaps everyone else is white, you stand out as the only black person, you have to deal with that in a, what is still a fairly racist country. I said, I have a choice whether I come out or not. I perceive my choice to be an ethical and moral one, and therefore I want to be out. For me, it's, it's really important, because I think we make a difference every time we come out. So no, I don't want to out people, but God, I wish they'd out themselves. Hmm. Then this young woman took off her wig and showed me that she had alopecia. And she outed herself as a bald young woman. It was just gorgeous. She put it back on before she opened the curtains, but it's brilliant. I mean, I, 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 honestly, the, the person who suffers most from not being out is mm. the person who's mm. not out. <laughs> yeah. I don't really want to out people to help us. I mean, I think there are cases where role models do help everybody else by coming out, but by and large, just so much better for the person. Actually, I had, on the bottom line of the radio program, we had um, John Brown, Maud Brown, the uh, former chief executive of BP, who was outed uh, in a rather complicated way by a newspaper that had an account from his relationship with a rather unsatisfactory relationship that he tried to cover up and went to court and he lied in the court and then had to resign his very senior job running BP and all of that. Um, actually, it's worth listening to that radio program. I would recommend it. Bottom line, it's uh, still on that Um And, um, you know, just listen to him. He just says, the best thing that ever happened. You know, his life is just a liberation uh, from that kind of bottling everything up, trying to keep it quiet, living the double life. It's just so unpleasant. It's really better for them. But I don't. I think you know people have to make that choice for themselves, and I'm not even if they were critical. I would just look down on them, but not. I think I, I think I'm in a bit of a middle camp in that I do not absolutely believe it's not right to out people, and you know I felt it was almost laughable during the games when you know I was centre spread of the Evening Standard saying I was the only out lesbian in the Olympics or Paralympics, 
though there are a lot more. Um, but I, I sort of live in a bit of a middle camp at the moment in that my new partner is not out um, because she's the deputy head of a very prestigious school. Um, and it, that's been a really uncomfortable experience for me because I'm very out and have always been my whole life. So, you know, to walk down the street and not be able to hold her hand or, you know, when we're at the school to, to be her friend is, is really quite challenging for me. But what I have seen probably for the first time is the absolute angst that she has about if people find out. And I don't doubt for one minute that 99% of people in that school, you know, really don't think we're friends. Um, <laughs> But it's unspoken, completely unspoken. But the angst, the real angst she has about what would happen if people found out is, is, is really tangible. So whereas I thought, you know, I'll give this a month and then I'll be really pushing her, actually I haven't. And so I sort of, I, I think my reflection has moved a little bit because of that experience. Um, I do think about this a lot, actually, because there are probably a huge amount of... Uh, artists, particularly in the hip-hop and R&B field, who are gay and who are not out. Um, there's one, but they're perceived to be gay. You know, People think, they think uh, Queen Latifah is gay before she came out, or they think Missy Elliott might be gay, uh, but they haven't come out, they haven't said that they are. And I agree with you in thinking that just because these people in the public eye, we don't know what their personal lives mm-hmm. are like, we don't know what their background is, um, and they could have a very religious parent who is not going to accept the fact that they're gay. And they're weighing up the option of, well, if I come out publicly to these people I don't know, to the world, who they don't... It's great if they come out, but they don't owe the world anything. You know, we don't, we don't owe the world to come out. That's not, that's not what, what we're there for. It's going to ruin my relationship with my mother or, or with my father yeah. or, 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 you know, it's going to have such an impact on my personal life that the world doesn't see, that the general public are not going to see. So I, wouldn't, I would never like to out people. I love to see out people. I love, I encourage people to come out, but I would not do it to someone else. I think that's uh, something they have to do themselves. Yeah, personal, personal choice. Okay. Speculate about people. Gossip about them. Yeah, yeah. Says the economist. Do you get annoyed when when you're defined by your sexuality? So I know that I have playwright friends who happen to be black, who are called black playwrights or Scottish playwrights, or you know, if uh, if you're a gay sportswoman, if you're a gay actor, if you're a gay writer, does it annoy you? And how do how do we stop people? defining us by our sexuality. And do you mind? We did sort of touch on this. We talked about this while we were all having coffee earlier. And um, I think the word defined is quite an interesting word because to me it sort of implies limited. And uh, I don't know if that's right or wrong, but that's how it sounds to me. So if someone says they're defining me by my sexuality or defining me by my height or defining me by all sorts of things to me the word define sort of means limit limited by Um, so there are times when of course it's appropriate that I am 
defined by might not limited by um, what, what other word could I use uh, labelled label, described by my sexuality there are lots of times when that's absolutely crucial now I mean why am I sitting on this stage you know there's no other reason other than that I'm, that I'm gay um, but in other areas um, yes it's, it's completely irre- it, no, it's never completely irrelevant but in other areas there are far more important things I was not a gay newsreader I was just I was a newsreader when I was reading the news my sexuality was not material um, but newspapers and things do choose to use that label I don't think it's I mean I don't think it's I mind gay writer enormously I mind it because it means I sell less books um, I was once in a bookshop in Glasgow and a novel that didn't, that didn't have a gay lead character because I've written, I don't know, there are 13 books and they don't all have gay leads um, was in the gay section and I asked the bookshop why is this here, why is this not in the fiction section, she said because the writer's gay and I went, oh, yeah, I'm the writer why is it in the gay section and, and there was, it meant, you know, there are less gay people. Therefore, I'm going to sell less books. I don't want that limit. But one of the other things we were talking about upstairs is I mind a lesbian. The lesbian. I mind lesbian as a noun. I don't mind lesbian as an adjective, yeah? Or gay as an adjective. Because we say gay man, we don't say a gay. Yeah? Um, just as we were saying earlier, we hardly ever hear someone say a Jew or a black, I guess, yeah. But we don't. We say a black person, a Jewish person, a gay person. But we do say a lesbian, and I find that immensely limiting because it's not the only thing I am, by any means. It's pretty important today, right here, but it's not by any means the only thing. And I think for any of us, the one that puts you just as as that's all, it's not very useful. I mean, I think some of us who are sort of on TV or radio have to accept that actually it is still the case, and I think it's less of the case, that the most interesting thing that you can write about someone like me is, is gay. I mean, there are other things, but the truth is I have observed in tabloid newspapers and quality newspapers uh, and in interviews with all of them, the fact that I'm gay is put more prominently than I would personally put it if I was writing 800 words about myself. Um, it's are always in the headline and um, I think it, it, it doesn't particularly annoy me to be absolutely honest I mean it, it doesn't bother me I'm not worried about being gay that's what they find interesting that's what they find interesting but I, I'm slightly sad that it's still the most interesting thing but I think it is diminishing in interest because to be absolutely honest there has been a sea change in attitudes and gay is just not that exotic anymore and so, increasingly, it just looks a bit naff if you're writing something to point out that someone's gay, as though that's something, wow, gay, you know, <laughs> in the 70s, that was what you did. But I think now it just looks a bit dated. And I, funnily enough, I actually think the trans population are where gay people were 20 years ago. Where Absolutely. Basically, if you are Paris Lees or one of these writers... It is going to be, I was actually having a conversation with her at student private the other day, the truth is, it is going to be the most interesting thing about her, and that's the first topic you're going to talk about. And maybe in 20 years, when more trans people are in the public eye, when we've met them, and we've met them socially, and had more exposure, then it just will stop talking about it, because it will be casualised. And that's actually, in some ways, what I think is the 
The sort of the revolution that is still awaits is the one in which it is just very, very cashy. Mm. Yeah. And totally kind of, you know, yeah. just, just in sort of matter of fact <clears throat> rather than sit down, I've got something I need to tell you. And also, we can't, we can't have it both ways. We can't have the kind of, you know, we're all here being out gay people talking about being out gay people. And, um, and, and then to complain that we're suddenly described as that. You, you know. Well, exactly. But, I, but I, we were talking about this before because I, I, I agree with what you're saying, absolutely. But I'm sort of coming from the other way, which it, it bugs me when people say, I don't want to be defined by my sexuality. Because I agree that it is limiting and it sounds limiting and there is more to us than that. But surely we are partly defined by our sexuality. Everyone is, not just gay people. Everyone is. That's part of their makeup and a huge part it's a huge part of mine my sexuality it certainly makes me who I am so there's something there's something apologetic I think about people saying I don't want to be defined by my sexuality it's almost I feel it's almost making an excuse for it which maybe harks back to you know the time when it, it wasn't acceptable I don't know. Maybe it's a knee-jerk reaction. I think I... it's. I think it's. A, it's about wanting both. Yeah. And that's fine. So of course it's intrinsic. Yeah. But it's as intrinsic as maybe half a dozen other things. Mm. Yeah. I think no, also if it's the first thing somebody reads about you, that's what they lock into. Um, in in my experience, uh, and I think it, it it kind of you you lose you lose some people. People well, think, well, if you're gay, you know, you're not for me. Yeah. Your 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 work is not for me. Um, it's said well, hand yeah. in hand with your profession, with your work. It, it, it's not just gay. It's you know, if I was a baker, I hopefully wouldn't be a gay baker because it's not really relevant my sexuality on the bread I'm making. But 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 being a hip hop artist, knowing the history of hip hop and that not all of it, but a, a, a large segment of it, which was very commercial, was deemed as homophobic. Yeah. Uh, therefore, it was not allowing or uh, representing gay people within that music, and it was actually quite against them. There is some relevance with me being a gay rapper, given that history, and there's some relevance with the music that I make from my perspective as a gay man. The lyrics I'm writing, and hip-hop in particular as a medium, is different from maybe... Uh, pop songs uh, where you know a song could be quite generic and uh, and sung by anybody and covered by anybody but with hip hop it's very much about the individual who they are where they come from what their politics are what their viewpoint on the world is and it's much more specific about the individual uh, it, it seems more relevant for me to be a gay rapper than just a rapper yeah. It, it really depends on the job you're doing, I think, and how that colours, you know, how much it yeah, colours yeah, your, your profession. Yeah. I don't think that works for me. I don't think being gay affects how I shuffle around the floor on my bum and play with the volleyball. <laughs> um, but I, I guess, I, for me, it doesn't niggle me um, because what I think it gives is the platform to then have that discussion and be that role model and push forward some of those agendas. And, and I'd love to get to the point where that isn't needed to be the case, but, you know, that is... I see it as that's what it is, and it's slightly irritating because, like you say, we are so much more. I think I, I look at it like my life is a bit like a, one of those oil lamps and all of those things, being gay, being a mum, being disabled, they're all floating around in there and they all have to be in there to make the whole lamp. But whatever point is relevant is the bit that's at the top at that time. That's. Mm. I've got a couple more questions. I'm going to open it up to the audience. What's it like at the school games? For the parents, for the friends, for the aunts, the uncles? How is it? What do you mean at the school gates? When you pick your when you pick your kids up, I mean. You oh, I see. It's gay parents. Yeah. Um, or aunts and uncles of. Yeah, but that, 
I don't know how you find this, but it's a tricky one for me. I've got two kids, and when I walk down the street with my kids and my partner, um, depending on where we are, people people do stare, but then people stare at me all the time because I'm on cards. <laughs> so it's really hard to know why, why, why people are looking at me. I mean, actually... If I wasn't famous, no, I don't think people would. But then I live in Islington, you know. I couldn't live in a more liberal, yeah. middle-class kind of area. Um, and at the school gates, everyone's, you know, there are other kids uh, there with gay parents. It, it, it's sort of a, a non-topic, really. Yeah. Um, but again, as I was saying earlier on, I'm well aware that it's not like that in, in other places. I'm, I'm really lucky to sure. have that. Um, doesn't mean that I don't see that it's not like it's sure. that in other places. Sure. So I don't, I don't know how you... Yeah, I mean, I live in deepest, darkest Kent, so we're not quite as liberal over there. <laughs> um, my experience has been slightly less positive. I have a 13-year-old son now who went through IVF or a tragic incident with a turkey baster, depending on which way you're <laughs> um, and a daughter who I adopted at 12. So I've sort of had both ends of the spectrum, and we've had to move my son twice out of primary school. The first time because... Um, it was a very negative experience all round and um, we weren't able to go to parents' evening together and there was the things that we'd heard come back from the school were horrendous. The second time was a slightly more positive experience but the teacher refused point blank to let my son make two Mother's Day cards because why would you? Um, and then we got him into a very good pri- um, primary school and he did fine. He's now in secondary school. And I don't think there's anything ever overtly said. It's undoubtedly that we do have parents who don't send their child to my son's parties and things because of some fear. Um, And it's undoubted that I know that he hears things um, and people say things and we've had to have that whole conversation about how he responds to that. And when people say the that's so gay thing, what that actually means about what he's saying about his family, etc., my daughter, on the other hand, she started off very, very uncomfortable with coming into a same-sex relationship. Um, but since then, it's become quite t- cool. She's got to those teenage years, and about uh, two years ago, she, um, when she first started at university, she, um, she came to me one day and asked, she said, I've got something to ask you, Mum. And I was like, yeah, sure. Said, Could you dress a bit more gay? Because, <laughs> seriously, because my friends think it's really cool that I've got two mums, but then when they saw you the other day, they think I'm, you know, think I'm lying. So, you know, <laughs> so it's interesting to see how my son's gone from having two mums and being really, really, you know, open about that and not understanding, and now starting to sort of cover it up a little bit more, whereas my daughter's gone the opposite way because of their ages. So. You want to show them your tats, Claire? <coughs> yeah. Maybe yeah. on a second day instead of three. Audience, I think we've got roving mics. Have Ooh. we got mics? So or shout or shout. Does anybody have a question? And can you let me let us know who you are, where you're from, if you want to? Um, anybody got a question? Take one at the back. At the back first, then we'll come to you. Hi. Can you hear me? Oh, sorry, I'm hiding in the back. I sneaked in late. That's okay. Um, <laughs> as some of you may know me, I'm, I'm Surat, and, and I'm a, a trans queer Jew. <laughs> and I like this art Jew here in this respect, because um, I think it makes a clear statement of who I am. But um, 
this is just to introduce myself. And by the way, there's a, an exhibition running for two more days in the LSE Atrium Gallery, which I, I have um, put up, which is called Rainbow Juice. So you're all invited to, to just uh, pop in after this. It deals with something that's, that's sort of leading into my question or comment, if you want to say, about something about um, being queer or LGBT and... Um, and a person of faith or a spiritual person. And sometimes in this whole um, queer discourse, I call it queer, and I'm, I'm sorry if I offend anyone with that. I kind of like that word as an inclusive term. Um, in the queer discourse, I often um, miss this aspect of... Um, more than just we are sexual beings in terms of our bodies, right? But I feel in a lot of the, you know, especially for my experience as a, a trans queer person, it goes a lot more in a different realm of that, but just being defined by genitals, right? So it's something what, what, far... What's your question? Sorry. Yeah. How do you see that? Is there any of the aspect you have discussed in your work or in, in your personal life that, that goes into that realm of beyond, okay, sexual beings? I'm gay and I have sex with someone of the same sex gender, what we want to call that. Or is that a deeper experience for, for you? Because it is for me and I'd just like to hear um, your thoughts. I think you might have missed Alice at the beginning saying that it wasn't just okay to be gay, but wonderful, which I think is past it. Yes, I'm not quite sure I understand what I meant. Um, uh, whether it goes, yeah, I mean, the sex part of it, but the sex, it go deeper than, than sexual, your the, sex, the, sex, having sex. Well, the yeah. having sex thing <clears throat> is probably one of the least important parts about being gay, I think, for most of us who are over the age of. Thank you, Ethan. Poor Claire. Well, you know, I, it, when you're young, of course, that's. But it is actually interesting because it is what the media focuses on, and they are obsessed, and it's what the church is obsessed with what we do physically. And I think for most people, what's important is the love aspect. Yeah. Because I think the bit beyond genitals and uh, physicality is the relationship thing, which we haven't probably talked about enough actually, but it is um, a whole lot of things about being gay are nicer and easier when you have a good relationship. Um, and funnily enough, I think my mum's instinct has always been have a relationship with mother in that respect to her. That she's, she wants to see, and I'm, I'm with her now in the other room because long term settled relationship. I think it's, it's immensely satisfying, and I think it does take you beyond. And I don't know if I'm answering the question, but I think it does take you beyond the kind of raw physicality of it. And I think it is uh, something that our culture needs to, <clears throat> to focus on promoting as a way of getting people. That's how I know that I'm gay. Uh, sexually, I'm probably bisexual, but sexually is so very irrelevant, and I've been with the same person for 24 years. So um, I'm not bisexual. You know, I have a monogamous lesbian relationship. But how I know I'm gay is my heart sings for women. My heart does not sing for men, and I've had lovely relationships with 
lovely men when I was a younger woman, but my heart didn't sing for them in the same way my heart sings for women. That, for me, signifies how I know I'm gay. And it's got very little to do with sexuality, personally. It's about where my love is. I think, for me, it's about being authentic. Yes. And, you know, I always bang on about you can't... You will only really thrive when you're able to be absolutely authentic. I think the other point for me is a slight criticism of the LGBT community is that we seek to see ourselves as a homogenous group mm-hmm. and actually when you were talking about being Jewish myself I have some understanding of that you know, and certainly when I had my accident I realised that the LGBT community is not as inclusive as perhaps we like to think we are we need to challenge ourselves a bit more to think beyond sexuality and much broader towards other diversity can I take the question in yeah in the middle? Uh, hi, uh, my question is just a general one for the panel. It's about um, being openly gay and being in the public eye. Uh, so anyone could really answer. Uh, on one hand, I agree that it's important uh, because. You're obviously, you're visible. People know about you, and knowing that there is someone famous and who's gay and who's, you know, you're not this crazy deviant thing that <laughs> your parents would probably tell their kids at that time. Um, as important as that is, I also sort of feel like having that tag of being a gay writer or a gay journalist or a gay broadcaster that still sort of implies that you're an exception in the bigger field and that it's still normal to be straight but you just happen to be gay. So I want to know how those two things would probably come together. Charlie's just written about openly gay. <laughs> yes, openly gay. gay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's sort of a, 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 I was saying earlier, and I've just written my first column for Attitude, um, Attitude's website and the topic is that phrase, openly gay. Um, I don't know if this really answers your question, but I'll talk about my column anyway. Uh, <laughs> um, and it is that kind of thing. Why is that necessary to use that little word openly? Doesn't gay say it enough? Um, but there's something about that word openly. There's there's all sorts of homophobia wrapped up in that. I think. Um, but sorry, can you just explain a little bit more? Because I'm I'm not sure I'm, I'm clear on what the question was. No, it was just, uh, I sort of agree with both parts of my question. So it is important to have public figures who are gay and who claim and identify as gay people because it yeah. gives younger people all over like role models of some yeah. sort. Yeah. But at the same time, having that tag of gay attached to you sounds like you're an exception rather than you are a normal functioning adult. So, well, what? yes, uh, you're fighting against the heteronormative <laughs> idea that everybody is straight. And that uh, everybody in all in all workspaces are straight, and so you have to sometimes, at some point, i.e., now in this in, the, in our period of time on this earth, say gay first, and then in order to get to the point where we don't need to say gay first, it's just a period that we're going through at the moment. I think, and you know, if we look back, if we could go move forward in three hundred years' time, 
there will be less, hopefully, <laughs> fingers crossed, no need to say gay well, first. One of the criticisms we get is, um, and I'm sure we've all had, is why do you have to go on about it all the time? <laughs> well, the truth is, <laughs> don't go on about it all the time. But if somebody asks you any question, any time, the, oh, what's your partner do? Or, or and, Unless you're going to deny it... Yeah. You are you you talk about it. Therefore you're talking about being gay. No one says why do you have to go on about being straight all the time? Honestly, it's so boring. But they do about I bet all of us have been accused of that when all we've done is talked about our life. And people think, oh, you're making a statement again about being gay. Yeah. No, I'm just me. I, I think you raised a very subtle and interesting point about media coverage of lots of issues, actually, which is if you give too much prominence to a particular thing, you do make it seem more unusual rather than more usual. So I, I, a very interesting example, I think, was the death of Leia Betts from Ecstasy, um, which was given huge media prominence, and which the establishment media was very keen to give prominence because it served as a warning to young people that people can die of ecstasy. Um, but in a very interesting way, I think, it, I think it had the opposite effect, because young people were seeing thousands of people take ecstasy week after week after week, and suddenly one person has died of ecstasy. And it's obviously a very big deal that one person's died of ecstasy, and that tells you not many people know of ecstasy. Mm-hmm. And the, the one danger, and you're absolutely right, if you give too much prominence to like three people who are on air and gay, you're kind of misleading the public, because there are lots and lots of gay people uh, in the but, media who may not be described as gay. And so you have to be careful about sort of giving surreptitiously by trying to look like you're casualising you're actually drawing attention to it. But I, I had, the, sorry to interrupt, but I, I, I think it's relevant. I had a, a similar thing, but I think it's the opposite of that. I am a parent and a gay parent, as some of us are, um, and I was asked to write a column about my experiences of being a gay parent or co-parenting with, by The Guardian. Now, The Guardian is lovely, lefty, right on, everything is, you know great and uh, it was a bit like preaching to the converted but even the Guardian in their weekend section where my column was um, even they were hoping to get something slightly salacious about being a gay parent they were hoping for a little bit of oh god how do we still go clubbing when we've got to get up for the kids and you know how embarrassing to see one of the school dads on hamster teeth I don't know it was that kind of thing and I, I think that's what they said. actually even though I was there going look at me, I'm a homo and I've got kids. Actually, what I was writing about weekly was the, the kind of banal, mundane day-to-day... And, I, and that was really important to me, was that I wanted to write about, yes, you were expecting this, but actually being a parent, your sexuality couldn't be further away from when you're nappy, changing your kid's nappy or... You're but they didn't want the boring, because when you ran out of things to write about, they asked me to take over the same yeah. <laughs> and, um, and, uh, and we discussed it. Yeah, we and I said, but I, they, they want me to write about difficulties that we've had, all yeah. the problems yeah. we've had. And I said, but there aren't any. And they said, there must be. So I said, there aren't any. Yeah. I promise you. Well, and so I didn't write the column, yeah. but we talked about well, that That's where I gave up, because exactly, They was, wanted yeah. bad stuff, and we didn't want to write bad right. stuff. But I don't think we should underestimate how much people don't see. I think if you are LGBT or you're LGBT aware, you see things a lot more than people who don't. And I think, whilst I think the, the positive role model thing is really important for young LGBT people, it's equally, if not more so important for parents or straight LGBT people who don't think about... I remember my gran saying about Pat Butcher 
and, and reading this article about P- Butcher and coming to me, and she actually said to me, did you know Pat Butcher was a Libyan? Which I think she got slightly <laughs> wrong. But, um, but actually, you know, the point was, she'd watched, I'd watched Pat Butcher once on telly and gone gay, gay gold war model. My nan had missed it completely for 20-odd years. So having that thing yeah. saying that's a gay person actually made her think, oh, that's a gay person, and therefore, when I said, told her I was gay, she had a, somebody in her head to think about. So, but also an older gay person. We do talk a lot about how it is for young people, but there is an elderly LGBT group that is not getting attended to, that is not being taken care of. There's been a really interesting thing that Stonewall have done with Age Concern. How is it for somebody of 85 in a care home when all the care home assistants assume their friend coming to visit is just their friend? And if you're 85 and you, ha- you aren't used to saying, I'm gay, because you've come from a very different world where you've been posited. And we- there's, a- there's a huge swathe of people, yes, of course, the young people, but I think we get fixated on, let's make it okay for the young people. There are plenty of people who are still having a pretty shitty time in this community, and quite a lot of them are the elderly. And we're not looking after them anywhere near enough at the moment. Nowhere near enough. Can I take a question just in the second row here? Cool. Oh, you're all right. Hi, I'm Wesley. I'm studying abroad here. I'm originally from the United States. Um, I was wondering what you guys felt would be the best way to deal with false, perce- like those really subtle false perceptions of your sexuality, whether it be people thinking that, like, just saying something subtle of thinking that you're straight when you're gay or gay when you're bi or trans, like, you know. Your second cousin saying like, "Have have you found a girlfriend yet?" Or your coworker asked like, like saying, "Hey, isn't she pretty?" Or something like that. So I know like, what do you find the best way of dealing with those, those situations? Is it fighting every battle, or is it you know something different? I think that's a really good question because <laughs> I think that is the hardest. So it's a very casual interaction. You don't know someone well enough to sit down and have a big earnest conversation with them, but you kind of want them to get from the outset what the situation is. And my advice is just be as casual as you possibly mm. can. Just pretend that you are in Islington. Where <laughs> 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 you just pretend that it's the difference between mistaking you for a Canadian when you're an American when you're a Canadian or something like that. Just say no, he's you know, you just absolutely as casual and just assume the person is liberal and don't look defensive. Don't look earnest, don't come out with something red, don't sweat, and don't say sit down, we need to talk. <laughs> <laughs> utterly casual. No, 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 he's, uh, he's uh, you know, just utterly, totally casual, as though they will accept it. And my experience is other people are more comfortable, yeah. you look comfortable yourself, yeah. and don't look tense about it or sort of nervous about it. And that's, that's the only it's thing. a lot easier with a partner, unfortunately, which makes it harder for single people because you can, because you, I say, my wife, blah blah blah, it's done, it's out, it's done. Sometimes people go, oh, you allowed to say that? They go, no, not until March the 29th. <laughs> um, uh, but actually, we're civilly partners, so God knows when they're going to sort out the legislation on that one. But it, it, it's exactly that. The more we normalise it, yeah. even in situations mm-hmm. where we know that it might be tricky, yeah. back of a taxi, all of that, 
the yeah, less yeah. we do and you know the it's s- in the and I have having twice had to sit people down and tell them I've got cancer do not sit them down and tell them you've got something when you say sit down it's a cue for bad news yeah. 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 I've got something to tell you it's a cue for bad news that's how people perceive it to be yeah. You know, it's, think, it's not great bad news, it's great news. Absolutely, but I, I agree with Evan saying make it as casual as you can. Whenever I phone, you know, BT or whoever, exactly. they automatically think because I'm a woman of a certain age, I have to have a husband. And they always call me Mrs. And I say, I don't have a husband, I've got a wife. And that's it. I don't make a big thing out of it. And they just, most of the time, they just go, you know, they don't even think about it. Although I sometimes hate what happens afterwards. And this happened happened to me. I was working on a film years and years ago, and one of the actresses didn't know that I was gay. And we'd been working for a few weeks, and then it came up in conversation. And I've always been very comfortable with it and very open about it. And I mentioned something about being gay. I can't remember how I said it. And she was clearly a bit shocked and said, I I didn't know that you were gay. You're not, you don't seem like you're gay. Okay, yeah, we had all that conversation. But then after that, she changed the way that she was with me. And every time I said something that I perceived to be funny, which happens quite a lot, um, she'd she'd go, Oh, get you, you bitch. She was treating me like a gay. She was responding to me and saying, You know, it was almost, you know, oh, we should go shopping. And I think sometimes that still happens, is that people go, oh, you're gay. Oh, well, that's all right, because I know how to talk to gay people. And unfortunately, I think we still have a lot of that. So, anyway, I'll probably write about that. Say that next week. Can I say another question? Uh, In front, the woman in the front row here with a lovely blue scarf. Um, so I was really interested a few weeks ago to read the article by Maria Bello. I don't know if other people saw it, an American actress who was coming out as having a female partner. Yeah. But in it, she, although she was describing how she lived with her child and her ex-husband and her, her female partner, I'm using her word, she deliberately didn't call herself lesbian or bisexual or gay. In fact, the term she used was like, whatever. <laughs> I'm whatever. And I've noticed this. I, I do a lot of teaching. and when, I'm only 35, but when I came out, it was a big deal for me to kind of be lesbian and feminist. And those two things went hand in hand. Like, it, it was hard, but it was a very political thing. And now I see kind of my, my kids kind of changing their status on Facebook or dating people of the same gender, but it not being about labelling. And on the one hand, I'm really, really pleased it's that easy um, because I had to struggle and I don't want anyone to have to go through what I went through. But on the other hand, I feel like that political fight's a really important political fight to have. So I guess I'm asking you, what do you think about that whatever as opposed to saying it's okay to be gay. I'm aware that I've been talking loads, so I'll say something really quickly about that. Because I was asked recently about, I get, we all get role models, get banded around all the time, and I got asked about it, and it was around about the time that X Factor was on last year, I think, and Lucy Spraggan was on it. I don't know if you know She is the oh, we know. gay food yeah. <laughs> And she's great. And, and that she did a performance where she was just there with her guitar and she had loads of scantily clad women around her dancing. And they, afterwards, Dermot did a spin and said to her, what do you think of that performance? And, and she said, I'm surrounded by semi-naked women. What's not to love? And that was it. 
They hadn't outed her at any point during the show. That was just it. She was there, out, and she was being very real. There are really sexy women around me. It's great. And, and that, to me, was whatever. That was why the younger generation have got a very different attitude to, to us, really. And I think that's progress. That's, that's sort yeah. of where we're moving, and that's really important. I like whatever um, to some degree, but I miss the politics. And I'm looking at one right here. I have a young feminist actor, writer, friend, who I love that she perceives herself to be a feminist and speaks about it and is next week doing a How to Write a Feminist Play workshop. And she's 27. Now, I want that for the young women, and I want that for the young men. I want people to still couple politics to their sexuality and their gender, because I don't think it's fixed yet. Mm. But I still, I also perceive that if people are feeling more free, that's a great thing. But I think that because it's still not fixed, and because there is that chance of losing these hard-won rights, we can't lose the politics as well. One last question um, in the front row, and then. Thank you. Um, hello, my name is Susan Marling. I just wanted to ask you. It's all very, you know, positive and so on. What, what you've all said, but whether or not you think that there are representations of gayness publicly, which are distinctly unhelpful. You'd like us to end on Ghana. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're, we're ending on the It's an open question. <laughs> I think um, the main thing that is sometimes unhelpful is the predatory um, depiction of gay men and women. And I think that can be damaging by the same token that we seem to think it's fine to have predatory straight people all over the place but as soon as it's and I feel particularly actually for gay men in this instance there's a thing that actually women don't have to deal with and that is the predatory link that then is linked as we know it is in Uganda and everywhere else but in a lot of people's minds to paedophilia and that I think I really sympathise with gay men because I don't think it's a thing that women have to put up with in the same way um, that's, that's the damaging uh, or can be damaging, I think, in the media. But by and large, you know, the more representation of all different kinds that there are, the better. I loved Last Tango in Halifax. I thought that was a fantastic representation of a gay relationship that was casualised, not really talked about that much. It was, it was wonderfully done, and there are, I know, in lots of programmes that I don't really watch, um, lots of, far more now than there ever were. And that's, that's a really positive thing, like you say, for your grandmother, for your parents that are watching Last Tango in Halifax, not because it's a gay drama, only gay people are going to watch that, straight people are watching it going, oh I see and it's kind of okay and those, that's, those make really important differences to people I think. Diversity is important I think there's the, if there is as many diverse representations of uh, LGBT people because every representation is true to somebody. Uh, and, you know, yeah. even the very camp stereotype yeah. of gay men from mm-hmm. the 70s mm-hmm. sitcoms, there are people who are like that who, and, and that they connect with. But at that time, that was the only version of a gay man on TV, and that's why it was damaging. So diversity is really important. Yeah. I think fundamentally in the media, gay media has still a huge amount of work to do because you pick up any sort of gay magazine and it's topless semi-naked very beautiful uh, white 
boys on, on every page uh, highly sexualized and I think there is a lot of damage in that in, in terms of uh, uh, men in the gay community thinking that is the ideal that is what they're supposed to be that is what that, that they're aiming for um, definitely when you're a young gay person you come into a city like London um, after often being in a very provincial town not having any connection with um, with, with with gay culture or gay community and sometimes like myself you've been bullied or you've come from a difficult background where you've not been accepted you really want to be accepted and so you come to a city like London and you open these magazines and you go to these nightclubs and you try your best to fit in to that community because you haven't felt like you fitted in where you came from and then you start doing things that you that are probably not ideal for you in terms of drug usage, in terms of your sexual behaviour um, and risks that are around that. And, and I think all of that is tied into the imagery that you see in gay media. Uh, and I think that's quite damaging. Um, and that needs to be addressed as well. I'm so glad you mentioned that, because I, I think it is important uh, to recognise that lots of the challenges the gay community face particularly in the gay male community, are not the externally imposed mm. challenges of oppression, but are the, internally, uh, the, the internal challenges that we create for ourselves uh, from a culture that has certain characteristics and features. And I think it's... Yeah, I, I, mean, you see, I, I, I don't really think there are many media depictions that I find that objectionable anymore. I completely agree. I think I'd like there to be a diversity of depictions but I think, I think we really have to start thinking it's not just about what the rest of the world is doing to us. You know? we, we do have a little bit of self-responsibility and accountability to, uh, to ourselves, and that's, I think, where I would be uh, sort of worried if, if I was worrying about that. I think we, as an LGBT community, could absolutely do better, particularly in being more inclusive about people of colour, about people with disabilities, about people of age. You know, we are very, it's a certain age, it's a certain colour and it's a certain ability that we tend to show. That said, so could the whole world. Mm-hmm. You know, we're probably slightly more thoughtful than others, but that doesn't mean that we're good enough yet. Do you mean we up here? Wait, no, no, I mean we, I mean as a community, I perceive the LGBTQ community to be trying to make some more effort. That's true to a degree although when my character on call, um, <coughs> fell in love with a woman, a gay man very comfortable um. with his sexuality, fell in love with a woman the amount of stick that I got from the gay community yeah. was really quite interesting. The amount oh, yeah. of biphobia I experienced from gay men um, I found fascinating because they were and I get it, I do get it here you have a really positive gay role model on primetime television who is, you know, happy and responsible and smart and all of those things, suddenly being with a woman and falling in love with a woman. And people were really pissed off about it and saying, God, I can't believe we're going here and we're going backwards and are you saying that it's a choice? And actually, I won't go on about it, but that's not at all what we were saying. We were saying this is how it is for one person, and I think it is about representation. On Corrie at the moment, we have three gay men, very different types of gay men, all completely valid and relevant as far as I'm concerned. Uh, Anthony Cotton comes under a a, a lot of criticism, 
and yet you walk down Canal Street any evening of the week and you will see hundreds of Sean's around he's valid he is whatever you know and I think a lot of people have a problem with camp because they have a lot of problem with that aspect of themselves certainly for gay men so I think that's what it's about for me it's about visibility and showing that we are diverse we are different we're all sorts of different types of people but I think the gay well the LGBT community need to look at that as well sure I think the gay media also have this concept of what it is to be gay uh, and what mm. people are following. These there little are boxes, this is the tick, you know, if you're gay you must do this, this, or this. You either are a bear or, or a twink or something. These ideals that young gay people are trying to, trying to be like, when you present them with an idea that doesn't fit into those boxes, that's when they feel like suddenly they're being challenged because they're trying to be this gay person and you're telling them that they can be something else and then it, 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 I think it really mixes yeah. them up and certainly for me when I first came out as a hip hop artist the gay community were the ones that were like why do you like rap music why, why, why are you wearing baseball cap I, I, I don't understand what, what, what's this you know that it was them that were giving me jip about about being into hip hop. It was not the hip hop community going, "Oh no, you can't, yeah. you can't be gay in hip hop." It was the gay community telling me I couldn't do this. Oh yeah, and, and, and you know, and that is you know when you're when you're challenging their ideas of what it is to be gay, that's when they get really turning up at an event. Sorry, just turning up at an event and being told. Sorry, this is a lesbian event <laughs> because I was wearing makeup, had long hair at the time, and a frock, and going, "Yep, I'm the event." <laughs> well, that is, thank you very much. We're gonna, um, I'd like to thank the panel very much, but Cubal is, is going to do a short piece for us. But before you do, I'd like to thank Stella, Alice, Marcus, Charlie, Claire, and Evan. I really appreciate your time. Thank you for being here. <laughs>